This is a prereq for Punk Law 201, and uh, no, it's a podcast, everybody. It's a podcast. My name is Walter. I'm an attorney, and uh, I'm going to try and see if we can maybe help figure out the law together. Uh, this is a podcast for informational purposes only. Uh, if you have any legal questions, please obtain an attorney in your state. Uh, obtain. Uh, retain, if you will. Anyway, welcome on to the, the podcast. A very good friend of mine, a guest. This is John Rinaldi. He is an attorney at law in the state of New Jersey. He works for Legal Aid Services down in Newark, New Jersey. I don't know if you want me to say that or not. I'm just going to well, bring you on up. So anyway, here's John Rinaldi, everybody. Uh, there's there's no audience, so uh, the applause will stay silent. But yeah, how's it going, John? Oh, I'm all right. Yourself? Good. It was. Uh, we were. We've already been riffing for about a half hour already. So <laughs> I was like, we should probably record this. This is, there was a point here, I think, somewhere along the lines. So. Uh, yeah, uh, so you're an attorney, I'm an attorney, went to law school together, you were a couple years behind me, um, but I've known you since before that, I've known you since college actually, so and people who don't know, law schools, you have to go to law school after college, it's not just like, oh, you go to college, you become a lawyer, I, I you'd be shocked how many people don't know that, but, uh, really? I don't know, dude, it's, I thought that was a well-known thing. Dude, there's so little things that are well known. Like, do you know how many people like I have to explain the whole like uh, shut the fuck up thing, right? The the don't don't speak when you get arrested, don't say anything <laughs> stupid, don't consent to a search. So like, uh, it, it, you'd be shocked how dumb it, people. And it's not even that they're dumb; it's that they don't know. We don't teach people this. This isn't oh, no, something I've... that we go over in grade school. I've been there. I, I, I have firsthand experience with uh, clients who say too much. <laughs> they do. They do say too much. And then, and then, like, they get in trouble, and you feel bad for them. Like, at least I do. I feel bad when they say too much because they didn't know. Like, at least you hope they, they didn't know. If they openly did it and they were like, fuck it, I'm going to get in trouble, but I want to get in trouble, it would be a different thing. But uh, I know, like, I, I, I've had a lot of clients who it's like, I feel bad when they get in trouble. It's like... It's weird. I think a lot of attorneys learn how to shut that nerve off. I still haven't figured it out yet. And uh, going on five years of doing this, it, I don't think that nerve's ever going to go away. And that's kind of like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't cut off my feelings. Like, I know a lot of people who are good attorneys because they don't have feelings anymore. They just they don't care. <laughs> they, I've literally, no, because I've literally talked to attorneys. So what happened was I talked to an attorney. I interviewed with an attorney who did stand-up comedy for 30 years. This is after I'd already been doing stand-up for a year and a half. And I go ahead, I start talking to the guy, and he go he he made it sound like doing stand-up was way harder than being a lawyer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, it's like it's so hard. You got to like write jokes and everything. And I'm like, dude, I have no problem writing jokes because if my joke bombs, guess what? I write another joke. Like if I if I bomb in court, my person's going to jail. Yeah. And then so, you get another person. <laughs> just, just find another human being. Just uh, just so, get another person. Uh, one of the things I found out about myself after uh, practicing law was I'm I ha I'm good at striking a balance. I do care, but I oftentimes I think I don't out the show it. People always ask me, like, oh, so you're a lawyer. That must make doing stand-up really easy for you. And it's actually, again, another thing. They're two totally different lines of thought, right? When you're doing stand-up, you have to be kind of be off the cuff. You have to not be um, – uh, like you have to basically just go off the top of your head. Whereas when you're a lawyer, you basically have to run everything through 30 filters. At least I do. I don't know. Well, it, it depends on what you're practicing. Like, cause again, like with like DV stuff, they don't, again, like there, there's no discovery exchange. You're just kind of going in there. And since those are supposed to be in and out in 30 days, you sometimes have to do a trial. Like you don't know what opposing counsel is going to hand you. Uh, so it, this is a, a, a pro tip. It, it is a good, it is a, it is never a good idea to lie in court, but especially for DV stuff, because if they have evidence that you did something, you won't necessarily know it until they introduce it into evidence. <laughs> yeah, that's no, never lie in court. Literally, that's just the rule in general because you're under oath. But yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, it's like, yeah, like don't lie in court. But if but you're going to do it, yeah. but if you're going to do it, don't do it when like you don't know what their hand is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. Dude, I just couldn't do family law. That was I did one family law case that blew up my office. I was literally like, it, uh, I, and again, it was like one of those things where it was it was a weirdly oddly complex case. I kept on begging the guy to go to a family lawyer, and this is one of those cases where the 
the guy liked me so much that he wanted me to be his lawyer, and I kept on telling him, like, dude, go find somebody else. There's going to be somebody who could do this better, but not somebody who could do it cheaper, and that's what he really wanted. And I'm like, guys, you bastard. But uh, I've learned better know, from now. I've learned. But I feel like family really was what made me a better lawyer. Like, like criminal was oftentimes very – like, I'm sure a lot of the outcomes are the same. It's like, well – your client probably did the thing and you talk to the prosecutor and you play chicken until you get a deal that everyone is happy with and you rinse and repeat. That was my experience. I mean, that is, um, but it's part of the process. And but, at least at but, the end of the day, when I do that, I feel like I did something in somebody's life that made it with oh, some oh, level. Yeah, of like, I mean, I guess in family, that's true too, especially with DV cases. Well, the problem with family is like, that's where you get your curveballs. Like you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think like, uh, oh, actually, this is probably a, a story for, this is a long one, but um, for, for another day, but a, a good example of like getting a curveball. Like I had one case where um, I signed up to do a, a it was like a, we were just supposed to do one hearing to determine a parenting schedule. And it turned into seven months of two parents who could not get along. And it, I remember like, begging my client to fire me because i just couldn't deal (laughs) it's dude that's the other problem i have with being a lawyer is everything's so time committed uh except unless you were doing like small criminal stuff like because it's usually that's done within a year like criminal stuff in general is usually done within like a year oh yeah it's that's probably the quickest and then real estate's why i like doing real estate dude the guy if i don't like the client they're out of my office in six months usually less I've never touched real estate, so I have I have no idea. Real uh, estate I, is so yeah. much easier than everything else because it's basically it's all basically the same. Just make sure you read the contract and you and if the real trick to real estate is that if you don't like the way something's written, say you don't like the way something's written. Like it's literally just a case of having testicles or not testicles. If you, know, you could have a vagina and do real estate too, it's just a case of, hey, this is stupid. Let's not do this. I mean, well, because it sounds like it's not really like. I mean, uh, and I don't know if non-adversarial is the word, but it's like there's no real conflict. It's like you're both working towards the same end here. So like, whatever, <laughs> everyone's happy as long as uh, no one's getting screwed over. But man, no, those custody battles they get insane well that's, i think that's the other reason why real estate's so nice is that it's it's one of those things that it is non-adversarial for the most part you you might have all, like different you, you, everybody wants the deal to go through or some portion of the deal to go through you wouldn't do it if you didn't want a deal to go through but uh on the other hand i think that there's like it, it's it's making sure how can this get destroyed down the line like basically i always tell people the best real uh, the best uh, transactional lawyers are people who've done some level of like litigation work so I, I should point this out too. Um, it sounds like you doing like criminal and real estate. You don't really come across a lot of pro se people, and that is where you get the real curveballs. <laughs> Having to go up against pro se litigants is the worst. It's the best, but also I the did worst. it because I do. Um, I do some small contract. Uh, I, so I have a client who gets a couple of like small contract disputes a year, and they're a business. So the, every once in a while, they'll get sued. And because in New Jersey, if it's over a certain limit, if you're an LLC or a corporation, even if it's like if they allege over a certain limit, you have to have an attorney. So if it's between like thirty five hundred and seven thousand, you get stuck in small claims court with like. So say say somebody alleges like, oh, uh, they're suing you for uh, uh, they're suing you on a small contract claim with your your furniture business because they didn't like the the couch that you sold them. They, they alleged that it was $7,000 that was the amount in question. In New Jersey, that that furniture store needs to have an attorney. I've had this happen twice with the same client where they came to me the day before the answer was due, and they were like, hey, can you represent us here? And I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be a surcharge because uh, this is like a last-minute thing. Okay. I have, I have two points to this. Uh, the first one being um, – Wait until you've ever tried to do, like, a DV case against a pro se, because, like, a lot of my work at Rutgers was, like, we got contracted by the state to represent plaintiffs, and a lot of the defendants who were, like, lower-income people in Newark couldn't afford an attorney, and a good Ooh. story about about one of uh, one of the cases is, um, so in, in New Jersey, to get a temporary restraining order, 
super easy. They can them out like candy. You go talk to a hearing officer. You say that you have a fear of, I don't know, anything. And you allege some sort of act of domestic violence. And they'll probably give it to you. You usually don't get denied at that level. It's when you got to get your final restraining order uh, that things get a little difficult. You have to prove things. Um, <laughs> and what typically happens, okay, I shouldn't say typically. Usually when attorneys are involved, you get this middle ground called civil restraints. It's you, the plaintiff agrees to drop the to 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 drop the the restraining order, and in exchange for that, you sign a contract between the parties that the court has nothing to do with that you're going to stop the 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 offending behavior. And typically, you will enter it onto the record. Usually, you'll read it onto the record, and the court will retain a copy so that if something goes wrong in the future, they can look back and the court can say, "Hey, look, like this yeah." Guy. But it also has no legal bearing, right? Like it has it, no like it. it doesn't but judges do not like to see people come back when there are civil restraints and it's one of those things i had that, I, I, that was really uh, bad we were talking earlier uh maybe before we started recording i was talking about i had a, a neighbor dispute they had one of those on the record and it was just like it basically was like wipe your ass with it it's like it, it didn't matter the and it, honestly you still couldn't tell like if somebody was who was fucking with who it was is all well, he said he said it's also neighbor dispute it wasn't like a girlfriend and boyfriend so it wasn't really a domestic yeah. dispute so it's a little different it, it i mean maybe this is like because you weren't like in front of a dv judge yeah but dv judges take them a bit more seriously because like the way that i always frame them is your honor we decided to show him mercy so he wouldn't have this on his record. We'd let him resolve this outside of court. He signed a document saying he was going to stop the offending behavior, which he you know, admits that he did. It's part of the civil restraints. And he offended again. Your Honor, we're, we're, we're out of options here. We've already tried to settle. And the judges usually go for that as long as the, 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 the re-offending is, is substantial. Um, well, but, see, that's, I think that's the main difference is that your thing is mine's more of like a mediation thing and your oh, thing's yeah, more yeah. of a he he has to admit on the record what happened. I think that's the, the real change, uh, the real difference there. A lot of times minor like the ones that I've dealt with so far have just been stupid mediation neighbor dispute things. And yeah, it's I feel like it's I also feel like it's a little bit different, too, because you're usually alleging some some violence yeah. um, off. Sometimes it's actually quite egregious and you know for that to be on the record and for the judge to be looking at like you gave this guy a, a, another chance and he still can't stop um it's it's not like a guarantee but it weighs heavily in plaintiff's favor if there's a, a another offense but um but this case i was working on we were contracted i i was working with the plaintiff um she had alleged that that her her boyfriend had had hit her it was a pretty what i call like a black eye case it was pretty standard i had photos of of the bruises and all that fun stuff and she decided she wanted to show some mercy because I had a kid together and civil and uh, restraining orders make having kids with someone complicated. I won't yeah. get into that in too much detail, but it makes it harder because uh, they don't just relax the, 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 the restraining order because you have to parent together. Um, and I was like, well, if that's what you want to do. You know, that's fine <laughs> by me. I'll draft something up. And I go to the defendant who's pro se. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the defendant was illiterate. <laughs> I'm like 99% sure to this day that he did not know how to read because I was watching him look over the, the paper and his eyes were just like not moving. Like he, he was clearly staring at it and not comprehending anything. So I mean, I explained it to him and I was like, well, you know, this is how this works. If you sign this, it, it goes away. And as long as you don't do it again, it's fine. Um, but I'm sure you see the ethical problem here. I'm yeah. an attorney trying to coerce a defendant. Coerce is such an ugly word. <laughs> yeah. Trying to convince a defendant uh, who's unrepresented to sign a document. And I have reason to believe that he does not understand. <laughs> and so well, this is one of those ethical things. So as like, you know, the part of this podcast is explaining maybe even what the ethics that lawyers have to deal with on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis, which is you in this, you have a, here you have an obligation to your client. Right, you have an obligation to to do what's in her best interests, but at the same time, you're dealing with a pro se litigant, and he might not understand what the hell he's getting into. Well, you would think that this has a resolution uh, that teaches a lesson um, and teaches people about attorney ethics. It unfortunately doesn't. How this resolved was on the record. I said to the judge, "I said, Your Honor, frankly, because I mean, he signed it. I'm like, Your Honor, frankly." I have reason to believe that the defendant is illiterate and does not understand what he just signed. What would you like me to do about that? And she looks at me and she goes, 
just goes over, looks over at him and goes, you understood what you signed, right? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, good enough for me. Dude, like, by the way, that's kind of the most <laughs> offensive thing you have. Like, uh, one of the nicest yet most offensive things to do on someone's behalf is be like, I think this guy's too stupid <laughs> to understand this, this agreement, <laughs> Your Honor. By the way, I'm against him on this, but like, it's like you gave him the biggest like softball, and then it's like... <laughs> Wow. You have no idea. But also kind of offensive, too, because you just said he's illiterate. Like, what is it? I mean, he's like, this guy thinks I'm stupid? No. I mean, so I, I did, like, think about that. I didn't just, like, come out with this. Like, we, we were out in the hallway where they keep the defendants in Essex. And I thought about this for a while after I got the signature. And I'm thinking, and like, on the one hand, I could just pretend that I don't have this problem and I'm out of here and I, I get I got a flat fee for these from the state I don't care I can, I'll be home before lunch or back to the office before lunch I should say or I could bring up my legitimate concern and the judge can try to find a solution maybe we can um, have someone come in and act on his behalf I don't know I was really new at this point I didn't really know what the protocol was mm -hmm. I did not expect for the judge to just be like whatever good enough for me <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, well, it's on the record that I raised the problem. So if an ethics complaint ever came up, they can't say I didn't bring it up. No, <laughs> if anything, my, it's going to be a question with call. the judge. Or maybe not even. The judge probably doesn't have any real uh, responsibility there either. I feel like that's always kind of the problem is people who aren't represented, people who aren't educated, they're the ones who get screwed over by the, the system. I, I've been in a lot of spots where the uh, – where I've been in the room or I've had even clients come to me because municipal court judges on uh, marijuana cases wouldn't always give uh, defendants a uh, public defender. Uh, there's a couple really? of towns. Yeah. A couple of towns, specifically Bergen County, because that's where I am. Oh. There's one specific town in particular where I had a case where my, one of my earliest cases, probably one of my first cases, and I actually had a couple of wins on this case where uh, he came to me on a marijuana charge. I got the first marijuana charge thrown out. And uh, but what happened was the whole reason why he was even my client was because the judge uh, would deny the if he found out you did not have a job, he would deny you a public defender because he's like, I don't want the town paying for some derelict who you know doesn't have a job. Like, why should That's... the people of Emerson pay for your your attorney? That seems like something you're not allowed to do. Like hmm. that. That strikes me as something you're not allowed to it do. It sounds like it. But the weird thing is, is one. Who, who keeps track of this? Where's what, what the protocol? Fair enough. <laughs> Basically, you need somebody to go to court and argue that he, he deserves an attorney. Who's that? The attorney. By the way, at that point, he has an attorney. So at this point, you've already, like, nixed yourself out. There needs ah. to be a better way of, like, that's the problem I have with the system, even in New Jersey, which, honestly, the more I've gotten acquainted with other states' uh, systems just from, like, from reading and, and, you know, even New York, New York, the, the big bastion of hope, New York, right? This is kind of what we were, the idea of the topic of this podcast was going to be, we're talking about the discovery law and the, the bail reform law that they did up in New York, was that, oh, the New York's this big liberal bastion. It's this great state. And reality is, is even for no. a state that's so liberal uh, on its appearance, dude, their criminal justice system's a joke. It's one of the shittiest ones in the country. Arizona and Texas are better than you. How bad is your state when Arizona and Texas are better than you? And they are. They're better on discovery rules. The rules just changed, and which is what we were kind of going over was the life before those rules uh, went into effect. Which is like again, like the the rules now they have a they have a time frame where they have to give them to give you the discovery. They have uh, they have a time frame of which if they need an extension, the prosecutors need to apply, and they also expanded what they are required to give to you. It used to be they could, if a witness wasn't going to be called a trial, they didn't have to provide you the name of the witness. It was Which like, is, yeah, they, it, I I didn't work a lot in New York. I, I did like uh, some some uh, some internship work there, and like w what I got from it was they kind of just do whatever they want, and you just hope that you got a reasonable prosecutor. Or I did hear a lot of stories that Brooklyn was really good about this type of stuff even before the rule changes, mm -hmm. that they were just, like, the only office where, like, they were reasonable, and that the other ones were, like, you just hoped you got a prosecutor who, like, wasn't a dick. Well, Brooklyn's public you... defender office is who actually lobbied for the change in the rules because they have yeah. – Brooklyn, Brooklyn is one of the highest-funded 
uh, public defender's offices, and Scott, I think it's Scott Heimrich. I have his name down somewhere. He was one of the guys who led the lobby on changing the rules after the New York legislature uh, became more Democrat. So you had a lot, uh, you had this big push to change the rules, both the, the discovery rules, which is what we're talking about. And you were the first person who pointed this out to me because like, I was so used to doing New Jersey work. And I remember we were talking a few years back and I was like so used to like, oh, you know, like New Jersey, you have all these great discovery laws. You know, you do a hollip motion in 30 days. They have to get you the stuff, you know, or they, they do an order. They have to get you the stuff within 30 days. And if they don't, then the case gets dismissed. Well, New York doesn't didn't have that. Nope. New, New York, <laughs> New York, you basically could wait to the night of trial and give them the discovery, which is insane. I know. And like me thinking back on like all the stuff I did in Jersey, if I ever had to deal with that, I don't even I, I, I like because you, you, your entire leverage. I mean, maybe your experience is different, but like my like whenever like the leverage was always I got the discovery packet and they're overcharging and like they know that you. Yeah, exactly. You and know. It's like, so I have so I got to walk in there with nothing and I got to call their bluff with nothing like that's not that's not how it's supposed to work no you don't get to, exactly you don't have the ability to make a uh informed decision right so in new uh, you were saying before new jersey it's kind of been like this forever where it's you you get the discovery you go to court if you didn't get the discovery yet or there's discovery missing you make a motion called a hollow motion and then uh they have a certain amount of time 30 days to give you the information or the case get, the discovery gets barred from entry and could even the case gets dismissed sometimes gets so, used a lot in marijuana cases and i you, think that depends heavily on where in the process you are because like my, most of my cases were dealt with pre-indictment and like you don't need to do a motion you just bring it up to like the prosecutor or the judge in chambers and be like i'm missing stuff and they'll either mm -hmm. they'll either kind of work with you on that and be like all right fine that's maybe we don't have that and we'll figure something out or they'll just get it to you. Like, I, I never actually had to file a motion. But then again, all it my also depends on how big of the case and how deep into it this you is are. True. This is true. Um, typically, again, like New Jersey has their own discovery rules compared to New York, which is now New York's discovery rules up until this point was always basically they could wait to the night of trial. And now you have to basically be negotiating blind, which was. And I've I, there's a couple of different uh, New York public defenders who've posted about this. You have some experience about it. I've met people who have had uh, cases in New York who have had similar issues where they're like, oh, they're they're charging me with uh, with this, and I, they, we don't have the discovery yet. And like you were saying before, you're basically negotiating blind. Like the prosecutor might even already know that this doesn't really apply. Which, by the yeah. way, is another huge problem with New York's system altogether. And then they, so now they have added leverage from you not having discovery. Then you take on the other reform that happened. This actually happened in the same bill was the bail reform law, which was people were being held, you know, with bail. Uh, they were being held and they were given, you know, like, okay, you have, but they'll give, be given really high bail numbers and they can't afford the bail and they're stuck in prison. That was always something that I think like a lot of people never understood was like a lot of the people in jail have not been found guilty of a crime. Yeah. Like like half of them, maybe more. I forget what the statistic is. You can find it. But like, yeah, that's and, like, I remember when I first learned that I was like mad, like you're kidding me right like well and this is this is new york like we're not talking about well, texas we're new not jersey, talking about florida they did the same thing too new jersey did it uh, up until 20 uh, january 1st 2017 same thing in new, or was it 2016 i forget when bail reform happened here uh but, i believe it was 2016. you're right 2016. because i think i voted i think i remember the election was when I, I just got out of law school and I voted for the, the bail reform law. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, like even before January 1st, 2016, we had the same thing here in New Jersey. Our like our, our like prison population dropped by like 40% overnight because we weren't, well, not overnight. We didn't just, you know what I mean. But like it, it was on a steady decline because like we weren't putting people in jail for like, 
stupid shit. Yeah, everything like <laughs> stupid shit. Now they now they have a rubric. They have to go by like you you know have you ever been arrested before? Uh, your risk of recidivism. How many times you've done this? And, and so now they have like a, a real process to it. So New Jersey did this right, and there was very little backlash. Like there was a little bit. There was a little uh, bit of people going. Yeah. I don't know about that in New Jersey. <laughs> I, um, I I remember initially there was, but it went away really quick because also well, yeah. New Jersey's big and it's not densely populated new okay, york with, it feels like the backlash was a lot quicker and a lot harder with the public certainly there was i don't think there was that much backlash but like i i had some i have some insight into this because it just so happens that um i was doing an internship at the essex county public defender's office and i literally started the beginning of january of 2016 and they're like oh you're a 3l so we can make, make we can send you to court i'm like yeah okay <laughs> and then they're like well you're gonna start doing pre-trial detention hearings and i'm like I've never done one. And my, my supervisor at the time said something that was very smart. She goes, well, neither is anyone else in this building. I'm like, yeah, you're right, actually. Fair enough. <laughs> wait, what? Um, did, wait, you've never done one and nobody else in no, the building had? Because, well, because I, I started right I, – it, the wall took effect oh, January 1st. I started like January the, 4th. The new, okay. Yeah. So like by the time the office was back open and like open for business, I like started on like the same day that everyone came back from like their, their like holiday. And they're like, yeah, no one's done one. Like this is new. <laughs> so you have just as much experience doing them as any of us. And I, I spent a couple of months doing that before they moved me over to drug court. But um, but yeah, that was fun. Uh, there was a lot of belly aching by the prosecutors. To be oh perfect. yeah, of course. A Initially, there's it. gonna be. But here's the difference, though. The prosecutors in New Jersey don't really have a strong lobby, right? There's also not one unified newspaper in New Jersey. There's not like one like news source that really like you. The prosecutors are gonna go to and be like, "Hey, like we'll give you some tips and some news on some big things." Like the like, media in New Jersey doesn't have a lot of power. Well, like I, I brought up a good point to a prosecutor. I forget his name because it was so many years ago. But like he was complaining to me about this, and my point was, but this is your fault, literally, Essex County Prosecutor's Office. This is your fault. The reason why bail reform happened was because you kept an innocent person in jail for I think like a year and a half. <laughs> you did this. Well, this and that was, was that's what happened was in New York. Literally, your doing. <laughs> that's what happened in New York. It was uh, oh, what's the then uh. I don't have the name in front of me. It was, uh, it yeah, was that, poor kid who got with the guy was, in Newark. I don't remember his name either, but yeah, like <sighs> it was, uh, he had been arrested for stealing a backpack, which he didn't even steal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was in jail for, I think it was almost a year. And then when he got out, they also put him in solitary confinement at one point. And when he got out, he killed himself after two months. I mean, like, the story is, like, almost identical in Jersey, where, like, they, they just picked up some guy on the streets of Newark because he fit a description. And I, I forget how long he stayed in jail for, but, like, you did this. This was on, This is on you. You're the one that abused the power that you had, and now you have to reckon with it. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> so, but here's the thing I'm really, I have a really big problem with, right? So, New Jersey, we did it, and then, like, there was a little bit of a reaction to it, and then it kind of dissipated. Like, now everybody just kind of takes it as law, and it, it doesn't, like, how many times have you dealt with somebody who really complained about the bail reform law? Um, like, recently. Never. Like, never. It, it's really, like, like, like average, And we never saw it in the news. It never happens. Um, there were a few news stories. There was, there was a few people who were, like, out um, and, and had, like, committed a crime afterwards, but, I mean... Yeah, and they'll be like, well, see, if you would have been in in jail. And yeah, it's like, it yeah, like but so that's the one guy out of 100 that was bound to happen. Yeah, like, no, no one said it was going to be, like, a perfect system. There was, I think, like, going into it, they knew, like, there might well be someone who uh, wouldn't have otherwise been able to, to be out and commit a crime. But that's not, that's not the point. The point is we don't want the thousands of innocent people sitting in jail. It's a trade-off. Yeah, that's that's the point. Well, and in New York, it ha New York, so they did this. And by the way, it only went to effect in January, and now they're they're trying to roll it back. It's been four months. Oh, yeah, dude, I, it's I, insane how how short you went on that. You went four I, months. I, I know a few prosecutors in in New York City who were like 
complaining about this and it's like well new york just wait, 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 hold on. not just complaining dude the propaganda machine lower hudson <laughs> county dude lower hudson county news new york daily news there's been like five different newspapers and online media and like even like when you go ahead and turn on tv in rockland county if you're on the local news station that was all they were complaining about for three months they they would complain about bail jumpers this guy jump bail not not bail jumpers uh what's it called the 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 turnstile jumpers right somebody oh, who... no one needs to sit in jail over 275 like that's stupid yeah that's the problem it was somebody was complaining about like one of the news stories was this guy jumped turnstiles nine times now he's gonna be out again and do it again well, who gives a fuck don't let him uh, out well, convict I, him I, of I, the goddamn crime and then he's well, gonna be like fuck i got convicted of turnstile jumping nine times well i would counter that with that's what, like $27 worth of, of damage to the city? Do you know how much it costs just to start the process to prosecute him? You're losing. This is a losing money if all he's doing is jumping turnstiles. <laughs> but it was funny because that was the story they went with. I'm like, really? You didn't vet this very well? This was one. Yeah. This was a story that ran up in Albany and was like talking about the guy who, like, he, first of all, why are you running a story in Albany about a turnstile jumper in New York City? I'm that, very that certain to, that's probably just the best they had. It was probably the best thing they could find. This there guy. Was, there was another person who was like a graffiti artist. It was like, oh no. Oh. Oh, this guy graffitied the the train, and it was like, see, look what you did. It wouldn't, they would never would have graffitied the train if you wouldn't have gotten rid of bail. Well, technically, if you convict them of graffitying the train, then they would have like you, then they'd be punished, right? Is so, is that even a jailable offense in New York? Like, yeah, it is actually. Now, now that's, that's not. Why? Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> well, it's it's damage to property. What you're really saying oh, is they're oh, causing damage on. to. I, I I listen. I'm not saying the person should be convicted of it. I'm not even saying that. Like, the, the, like I'm just saying in there is a crime there, right? I'm saying that like you have to convict them of the crime first. You, the whole problem with everybody complaining about bail reform is you want to be able to punish people before you've convicted them of the crime. Well. I think the problem is everyone uses the example of, like, the horrible monster murderer that, like, it's kind of obvious that they did it. Like, the evidence is kind of like, – they're not thinking about, like, the average every day. Like, yes, those things do happen, but they're few and far between. Most of the time it's someone who committed a very small crime or no crime at all, and now they're sitting in – well, I don't know. If, uh, Rikers is still Well, not only that, days, but right? the bail reform law only applies to misdemeanors, classy felonies, like small small things, not yeah. things that are not things that are like this guy murdered 10 people and he's back out on the street. They tried <laughs> to do this in Rockland County. There was a, a guy who got released on the uh, who got released because, by the way, he got released not because of the bail reform law. This guy got released on an old penal code that like they had they didn't they did not uh, indict him. He was sitting in jail. They had not indicted him yet. Uh, it was within the uh, he the time frame for when they had to indict him they didn't indict him with any charges he got let go so now he's out on on the streets he went ahead and stabbed uh, a librarian up in uh, up in rockland county and then three newspapers took to the streets and said well because of the confusion with the new law this guy was out on the streets oh no guy who was released because no it's because you had a new prosecutor that month and the prosecutor didn't do his goddamn job so the judge turned around and said well you didn't you didn't indict the guy i had to release him under i forget what the penal code was uh but yeah so they didn't they they didn't indict him. He gets to walk, and then he goes out and stabs the, the, the real problem is, your problem should be with your goddamn fucking prosecutor, Rockland County. Uh, it was, I think it, yeah. it might have been Stony Point. So, again, like, that. so there you go. So they were, it, but it was three different newspapers blamed it on the new bail reform law that week. No, that, and then and then they went ahead and said, well, actually, it had nothing to do with the bail reform law, like, a day later. That's always been my point, is, like, if you do your job properly, it should be fine. Yeah. And then, and then, like the other thing that people don't don't get is like, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't know the exact details of New York, but in New Jersey, we don't have cash bail at all. Meaning, you can be rich, but if you did something that is horrible, well, you can't buy your way out anymore. Yeah. So, like, I think that's a now fair you buy your way out by having a really good lawyer who makes good arguments. Well, well, yeah, but I mean that. <sighs> Yeah, but that's I mean that was always the case, but now yeah. it's like you can't you can't buy your way out of jail though. Like like you you know you, you can't put up like your 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 like multi-million dollar summer house uh to to, to get out. Yeah, you can't Harvey you, Weinstein your way out. Yeah, now it's like, well, no, you're you're fucked, buddy. You're just... Or Jeffrey Epstein did that too, right? That was the other guy who uh, We're not even getting into that on this this no, episode. No, that's 
that is that is another story for another day. Yeah, when I've maybe had too much to drink. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like again, like so, like that was, and that that's something I agree with you on too. Is that in New Jersey we got rid of this all, and now you can't buy your way out of it. It's now a a more economical way of doing it. Now there's been there's been some criticism that the rubric that they give is still very racially discriminatory. Yes, and that that's a problem that I've had where like it's like a proprietary algorithm and they don't really tell you how it works and like I, I do have a bit of a problem with that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm willing to accept a victory when when we have it and maybe we work on improving this as we go forward. I don't wanna you know, we're not gonna scrap bail reform just because it's not perfect. It's like, well, well it's like healthcare. You're not gonna scrap the old healthcare law because it sucks. You're gonna improve it. You're not just gonna be like, well, no healthcare. Sorry everybody. We we fucked up the last time. We're not doing it twice. So yeah, I, that's its I, own I, political I, conversation for another day. But yeah, uh, it's it's like like they don't really I mean they kinda tell you what the criteria are, but it's kind of still a little opaque. No like, and I, I it was why also when I was voting on the law, like, again, because it was a referendum, you know, when you're voting on the law, it was a very oddly worded uh, referendum. You're reading it, and you're like, what does this mean? And that's, I mean, that's, like, that's like every ballot initiative. They always weird, word them weirdly. Yeah, it sounds about right. Well, you know you're donating, like, $10 million to serial rapists in Taiwan. Oh, fuck, really? <laughs> like, it's just like it, it, a lot of them are really that weird. There's been a lot of them that are usually, like, reallocation of funds referendums. Like every two years, it's always another one of those. Usually, oh, you can use the Green Acres, five uh, percent of the Green Acres funds to build, rebuild the roads down in South Jersey because people down there need roads. I don't care about South Jersey. No, nobody cares there. about South Jersey. It, it's, it's called it's Taylor basically. Ham. It's called Taylor <laughs> Ham. For, okay, we're not friends because it's pork roll. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm from the shore. It's pork roll. You're South Jersey. <laughs> It is not South Jersey. It is the Central Jersey Shore. <laughs> I am from Asbury Park, sir. Springsteen country. Springsteen country. Uh, so, yeah, dude, I. It, it's really impressive, though. And this is why I wanted to bring, like, that's why it was one of the first episodes I wanted to do with the discovery reform was because it was like, this is crazy. And it's it kind of gives you an idea of how tight the, the police department and the prosecutors are with some media outlets in New York. Like, it was just like, whoa, why is the New York Daily News reporting about this? And why are they talking about it so damn much? And why are they talking about turnstile jumpers? Yeah, that, that's the thing that gets me. Is like, is that the best you have? Is that really the best you can come up with is turnstile jumpers? And then, like, so, okay, the, 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 the bail reform was, like, I think available for a while. It was, like, January 1st it went into effect. It was around for literally three months. And, like, people who had even voted on it, people who were proponents for it, de Blasio was a proponent for it, Cuomo had signed it into law, and they were backing off on it. They're like, yeah, well, clearly the crime jump is because of the bail reform law, and it was like, it was a slight crime increase, and by the way, it's correlate, it's a correlatory. And yeah, of course, it's going to be a little bit of I was going to say that, a... too. Correlation is not causation. Yeah, like, it's, it, 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 it's, it's correlation. But even if it, there's some relationship between the two, yeah, because you, you okay, bail reform means that there's going to be people back on the streets. You, you didn't lock everybody up. You know what's also a lot safer? Dictatorships. Like, totalitarian dictatorships, like, listen, totalitarian dictator Russia, very safe place as long as you're not speaking out against the gulag, right? You could walk, mm -hmm. you could be a drunk lady in the middle of, uh, I don't know where, Moscow, Russia, is that a place? Moscow, Russia, in the middle of 2 o'clock in the morning, walking back to your apartment, and you would not get raped. But you also couldn't say, fuck the government either. I'm just saying, it's like, yeah, less safe, like, yeah, more security equals less safe. That's kind of, it's about a balance, and that's not a balance that I'm happy with right now in New York, as somebody who, you know, is barred there, who lives close to there, has a lot of friends and family that live in New York, people that I'm very, very closely associated with. I have a friend of mine who've had on, you know, like, I have a lot of friends, and I'm very tight, close to a community up in New York that uh, that is all, you know, Spring Valley, New York, and Nanuet, New York, and people who have been adversely affected by these laws. And I, you know, I'm friends with these people, and I, I, I a lot of people are very curious. It's like, and again, like, I just don't think it should happen to anybody, but especially in New York. Like New York again, like I was saying before, it's like it's false advertising. You're Mr. Liberal. You're 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 the big blue state. 
You got Cuomo and de Blasio acting like they're the heroes bastion, which, by the way, don't even let me get into Cuomo. <laughs> I mean, this, uh, that's kind of uh, the, the current state of affairs. I, I wouldn't get too into that right now. It's, <laughs> they, well, things are not at normal. <laughs> well, even when, but no, that was the problem is when they, before they were normal, before they were not normal, Cuomo was even worse. People hated Cuomo more. This has helped Cuomo's like COVID-19 and even like with some of his lesser good presses recently, like it's helped Cuomo a lot. And like not for nothing, like before COVID-19, I didn't know a single person who liked Cuomo. Well, it, I mean, I guess to your point, his contrast is a man who told us to inject disinfectants and get, get sunlight <laughs> enemas. So it's not that hard to look good when there's such a massive failing on the federal government's part. And not so. for nothing, I had that conversation <laughs> earlier today, too. Uh, I, I was talking to a couple of Trump supporters. And uh, you know what's funny? And, you know, and I'm not going to get into it because I feel like that doesn't this isn't that doesn't belong on this podcast. I'll tell you yeah, I'll that's... tell you that story a little bit later on. It's getting a little bit more too political, but that's the problem. Why it really is all politics, right? It's it's going to be one of the like, especially on here, the podcast portion of it. The videos are not going to be as pod as uh as um maybe for the one discovery rule video, like for the the New York discovery law and bail reform law video. It might be a little bit more politically leaning. But I feel like with this podcast, the idea is that, yeah, you know, it, it, the podcast is going to be a lot more politics because it's going to be you're hearing about literally that's what politics is, is you're changing laws. I, yeah, I, it's, 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 it's tied together. You can't really divorce the two. Well, that was always something I found funny. So I met a lot of comedians who wanted to hear me talk more about being a lawyer, less about politics, even though I don't really do politics in a lot of my stand up routines. So it's kind of like but like in the rare instances that you do bring up like some kind of level of politics, a lot of them don't want to hear it about, they want to hear it about bankruptcy reform and they want to hear about like discovery reform and bail reform. They just don't want to hear about it or they want to be told to shut the fuck up when they get arrested. They just don't want to be hearing like Trump sucks, which at the same time, we all kind of know anyway. It's a, Most of us don't do Trump jokes anymore anyway. I mean, I, I think there's a tactful way to bring this up where like you don't just say Trump sucks, but like, yeah, Trump's a cunt. criticism <laughs> of, the, of, of like, well, you know, if you're going to do all this stuff and like, well, there's no evidence that that's going to make a difference, but you're doing it to, you know, but, you know, that's that's a whole other story for a whole other day. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up with the discovery reform laws, it, it expands upon like what was already discoverable. Like we were talking before about witnesses being on the phone, like, you know, like if somebody had called something in. Right. So uh, witnesses who were not getting called to trial, that would have, th technically there's a question of whether Brady versus Maryland should have already been coming in at this point, right? This is one of the big problems I have with our, our legal system to begin with is even when you have a constitutional ruling, you don't always see the constitutional effect. So like, I, I see the point that like Brady probably should have prevented this in the first place, but at the same time, I, I, I think the argument that it didn't is like, fair enough like it's not a i don't like it but i'm like all right i'll give you that one fine it's there's there's enough ambiguity there because like i don't think there know, is i think it, it, clearly uh, it's exculpatory it, it, like okay so i guess the argument is, is who determines what's exculpatory and well, there's that, not I mean, an independent well, review problem. panel well that's the problem it's, it's like, the prosecutor well, who determines yeah. what's exculpatory which is bullshit Hence, well, uh, hence the, the problem like okay i can see where this is, is allowed to stand I don't like it, and I think it's a bad system. But like on a on a very technical level, all right, I guess that's. Well, we were talking about it before about you know when I was talking about I've been in courtrooms where people have been charged with marijuana cases, right? And it, marijuana cases in New Jersey, you can lose your license, you can go to jail in theory, although it doesn't usually happen. Uh, and also, not for nothing, say you. Uh, Say, you know, say you get all the way to the point that you use your holop motion, you do all your discovery stuff, you don't go to trial, but you plead out with a, a conditional discharge. You've used your conditional discharge. You've used your one get out of jail free card that on a on something that, again, I feel like if, if you are at, if you are at risk of using your conditional discharge, I feel like you should automatically like it, it should automatically be a lawyer's provided to you. If you need a diversionary program, then. Because also, what happens when you fail the diversionary program? Then you you probably do need a lawyer anyway. Oh, I've 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 been through this once on a, on a very very complicated matter that I worked on. Oh Lord, I don't even want to think about this. <laughs> this the problem is that it is complicated, but also it's it really shouldn't be as complicated. The problem is that there's a lot of little like courts in New Jersey, so it's all like the the municipal courts deal with all the misdemeanor cases. 
And then anything I mean, higher is like the county courts. Lucky enough, Newark's actually pretty good. I'll give them that. Newark Municipal. Oh, dude, I love being in Newark. It's actually pretty good. They 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 generally will work with you, and the prosecutors are like, reason. It depends on which one you get, because they they kind of rotate, and most of them are pretty cool. But some of them will just be. There's a couple of them that I'm like. Oh, well, this is also the problem with the design in New Jersey, right? New Jersey is 500 little fiefdoms, and there's 500 prosecutors in New Jersey that are not employed by the counties. They are individually employed by all these little towns, and they do all. And you really don't know what their their background is, other than they pass the bar exam. And they're prosecutors. That's all you know. So a lot of them, like I've dealt with prosecutors in New Jersey, who it's like. Do you even like? Were you ever a prosecutor in the county? No. It's like you you were your your firm threw in a bid to the town. You were one of the three people who applied, and maybe your buddy's on the town council, and he got you the job. Yeah. Which, which by the way, is on its own problem with New Jersey is how corrupt and easy it is to get. How weird it is that people get the contracts that they do in New I Jersey. Mean, I don't know. I, I've had a lot of good experiences with municipal prosecutors. Like even maybe it's because I'm not in Burton County. But like in like like well, ethics, I've been in other counties I've, too. Morris County was I, a suck to like a, a suck fest as well. I've had a lot of good experiences Sometimes. with like with like municipal uh, judges in, in Essex. They they're all quite. I found that they're all quite reasonable. Um, none of them were really giving me a hard time. It was usually a lot of them were actually surprised to see an attorney there at all, <laughs> especially for some of the the really minor stuff. I'm like, yeah, I I got roped into this. <laughs> I, I think but, it depends uh, on the county you're in, absolutely, because it also that 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 creates the makeup. It's like the political leanings of that county. All right, well, we're going to appoint the people that we agree with, and those people, you know, easier on crime, harder on crime. You know, white bread, you know, Bergen County, or the middle of the bumblefuck sticks that's Morris County, or you even further out, and then you're dealing with it's maybe it's also the part of it's not uniform throughout the whole state. This is one of the problems with the marijuana law to begin with. Recently, was why it kept on creating problems, even with what. Uh, Attorney General Gruel did, who uh, used to be actually the prosecutor in Bergen County, was that they reissued new uh, guidelines. But these guidelines were probably not even being followed to begin with regardless. Like the new guidelines were probably not going to get followed. And who, how you followed these guidelines as far as uh, marijuana laws, it, it would change. It would be like, so you're in, uh, you know, you might be in Bergen County. You might have a more conservative prosecutor. He might look at the guidelines and be like, fuck it. I'm going to charge the guy with possession of marijuana i'm not going to give him opportunities to to negotiate this out and it gave it, it basically created an, an inequity in the law in new jersey because like you might be in one town actually that all started because the city of uh, jersey city said we don't count we're not part of new jersey anymore even though we have jersey in our name we're legalizing marijuana <laughs> they did that they did a weird thing where the the, the was it the the, the state committee the the police commissioner in jersey city or the mayor the mayor of jersey city said we're not prosecuting any more marijuana charges in jersey city i mean like that's not technically legalizing marijuana the prosecutor has discretion well i was can about, decide. i just remember there being a i remember being in court in leonia one of the best judges I, i've ever met in my life he's a judge in fort lee which is one of the busiest courts in the state and also leonia uh, and I sat in, I was covering the public defender in Leonia, who I'm going to get on this podcast one day, hopefully. And he, he, uh, the, he was talking about this and he's hilarious like that. You could sit there. I, I know, I know other attorneys hate him. I know attorneys hate this judge because he will sit there and opine and like, we'll go over like the cases and the rules and you'll hear about a 30 minute dialogue about like the marijuana laws and all the changes in the marijuana laws and why he was adjourning all the marijuana cases because, uh, you know, there was an ambiguity right now in the law, and then there might be an uh, inequity of how they're being... Just, it was hilarious. It was great to watch this guy work. Uh, I always like uh, watching that uh, that judge. But but it's the point there is that he would always kind of go like, yeah, Jersey City, not being part of New Jersey, decided on their own to legalize marijuana, and the attorney general said, wait a second, you're technically New Jersey, let us handle this. Because <laughs> we're the lead prosecutors here, not you. Which kind of makes sense because New Jersey doesn't really give a lot of power to their mayors. Like they do a little bit, but not that. Not to the extent where they could tell cops to not prosecute charges. Like in theory, every cop is. I think. I, I don't know. It's a it's a weird setup. New Jersey's just a weird setup. Yeah, it's we have too many towns. <laughs> like I said, it's five hundred little fiefdoms. This is what happens, and you get you know it's why New Jersey is very well known for being corrupt, but it's corrupt in a different way. 
It's just like every every place is corrupt. It's just how the corruption works. New Jersey's corruption is is that there's 500 little towns, so everybody gets their little stake of being like corrupt. Yeah, like how I live in Hoboken, and people find it amazing from other states that Hoboken is literally one square mile in size. <laughs> like, yes, this is a tiny little town, and they're they're all over the place in New Jersey. It's just how we're set up. Dude, 500 of them in New Jersey is not that big of a state. I was going to say, we're, we're a small state that's been divided up into all these tiny little towns. For... <laughs> so, okay, I wanted to go back to the one thing because they were doing the – there was concerns of prosecutors. We were talking about, like, the, the exculpatory evidence and with, uh, with people – People, they're, they're really worried about witness intimidation, right? Like, oh, what if we give them the, the person who calls, you know, on the line to report the crime? People won't report crimes anymore if they know that their names are going to get released. And my argument to that is they probably didn't know whether or not their names were getting called anyway. Like, what person, who, what person who's not a lawyer knows discovery law? I've, I've heard this line a lot, and I'm just, like, thinking, like, you're right. Like, one, these people probably didn't know it. And two, like, well... It's not a problem everywhere else, is it? <laughs> no, it's not a problem. And then not only that, but there there actually is a, a process for them to, if the prosecutor is worried that these witnesses will get intimidated, they can get an order of protection from the judge. You yeah, have like an alternative here. You have a way of fixing this problem. It's like if, if you're calling in a murder, well, that's different from me calling in someone jumping a turnstile. I don't think this guy is going to go like throw a Molotov cocktail in my window because I snitched on him jumping a turnstile or you know somebody who took a leak outside and then they got arrested for indecent exposure yeah like he, they're not gonna come kill my family it's, no it's, it's not worth it because <laughs> then you're gonna want to know well what did you really see was it even that guy so now you like again now you have this other witness that's out there that you don't know like what if they saw somebody totally different so now you would have somebody who can maybe uh, again provide exculpatory evidence to your client and one of my big problems with this is, and this has been generally the problem with even stuff since the Brady versus Maryland ruling, which is who decides what's exculpatory? Generally, the prosecutor, unless they find out later on, and then the, the prosecutor suppresses it. And by the way, usually the prosecutor still doesn't get in trouble. <laughs> there is no oversight. There's no oversight of prosecutors. And even when, they, like, even when there's eventually some level of oversight, which is very minimal, they don't usually get in trouble. They don't go to jail for it. I don't think I've ever heard of a prosecutor going to jail because they wrongfully convicted somebody. I, I I feel like it has to have happened, but I've ne I've not seen a high profile. Do, do you think yet. there's a no way? There's no way it happens. The only I, way it would happen is that they falsified evidence. I but like I'm sure that has happened though. Even still, you'd have to catch them, prove it. It's probably oh, a yeah. rarity. It probably has to be an extreme case. It's probably uh, got to be like that case like we were talking about before. I got to find the, the, the name of the documentary. It's on Netflix. Uh, we should both watch it and go over it on here one day. But again, like that's kind of like one of those rare occurrences where, wow, somebody should go to jail for this. And in fact, in that scenario, they did. Yeah, like that. That's like, yeah. But like, my, my thinking being... There has to have been like someone who's like maybe like once, but it's definitely not common. It definitely does not happen very often, uh, and you feel like it should. <laughs> I, you know, I really, I don't know. I, I it should. It, there should be more of a re repercussion at least for not doing your job. And a lot of times, the problem is the prosecutors treat this as it's like a a win in their book, and that's all their job is is to put bad guys in jail and do what the cops ask them to do. And they don't, you know, so, like it, it comes down to what you what you determine what the job of the prosecutor is. If your job is the prosecutors is to put bad guys in jail, then you might not look at yourself as like the gatekeeper to this institution, where you are. Your job is to also look at the facts, look at the discovery and say, wait a sec, we're overcharging here. This guy shouldn't go to jail, which is what you were talking about before. You're lucky and you get a reasonable prosecutor. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of part of the reason why, like, I mean, I, I, I always like to joke with people that I'm, like, the only person who got went to law school, became an attorney, and was still a disappointment to their family. Because <laughs> I, I refuse to be a prosecutor. And, like, I remember talking to my grandfather about this, and um, I was like, you know, prosecutors, they, 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 they keep conviction rates, you know, they, they, they keep stats that way. And you can't tell me that if I have like a 90% conviction rate that you actually believe that 90% of the people that came across, I came across actually did it or actually deserved what they got. 
Well, that's the other problem with with criminal law is not it's just it's not just the the procedural problems that are the problem with it. It's the is the punishment really fit the crime, right? And we never revisit it, right? We don't look at it ten years later and go, you know, should this person really be you know losing their livelihood? Look at marijuana laws. We're finally revisiting those. And look at New Jersey. New Jersey's been saying for two or three years they were going to legalize marijuana. They still haven't done it. Well, that. That has a lot to do with the New Jersey state legislature. Well, yes, but the problem is, is people still suffer from that. That's well, the yeah. problem. Well, they don't care. Well, again, this is the problem with politics and law in general, is that the people who have the power to change things don't generally change them. They're usually a bunch of stooges that don't do their jobs, and they go ahead and they collect a $50,000 a month check, or a $50,000 a year check from the state to be you know, state senators, and then it's like, what? I, as long as I get reelected, I don't give a fuck, and that's about it. I mean, and by the way, most people it, don't even know who their state senator is. This is true. Not, not that it matters, but like my my opinion on this is like there's probably a lot of Democrats in in the state house who don't want to vote for it because they're afraid it will hurt their reelection chances. Oh yeah, but don't really care. My guess is, if New Jersey gets marijuana, it'll be on a ballot initiative. Well, it is. I like, think like, the, that's like the everything next else. Doing. Yeah, that, like that's what that's how it's going to happen here. It's never going to pass the legislature. No one wants to be on record voting for marijuana because there are a surprising number of old people in New Jersey who do not like marijuana. <laughs> well, I, honestly, it's going to be a ballot initiative. And the thing is, is that there is a, a really ridiculous amount of old people because nobody can live here anymore. Nobody can live in New Jersey anymore and afford yeah. to live here. That's you're the problem, me, unless I, you're working I, in New York City. You'll say, I live in Hoboken. You're telling me. <laughs> Um, but not only that, so we're talking about all these these discovery rules. These discovery rules put them like right in league with about forty six other states. Forty six other states were doing better than New York up until this point. And they, like I said before, like they used to be able to to wait till the day before trial. Now the uh, we're talking about the law. Most of the stuff we've already kind of gone over. Um, yeah, we talked about all that. I know they're they're backtracking it to. Yeah, we basically talked mostly about the discovery reform bill so far and the bail reform. And, and again, it's just it's such a shocker that this was uh, a that now it's starting to become there's now worries about the bail reform getting not just the bail reform, but the discovery reform being pulled back, I, too. I'm optimistic that that won't happen. I think there, there's enough people um, f fighting against that, that it. it won't happen but uh maybe i think the I'm bail reform would be i don't think the discovery reform will be i think yeah. that's, that's taking the like, step forward too because also people don't give a fuck about discovery rules we already said this nobody cares well, well yeah that's the other thing that that was wild when i first became an attorney like you have discovery rules but like well we'll just do what we want anyway and as long as oh no forget it. new york is judge, the worst no with cares. this shit too <laughs> but this is also the problem with law is that there's really other than appealing there's no real way of uh, uh, there's no discretionary like there's no way of overcoming the discretions. This is why they had to go ahead and make it mandatory that people who were charged with these misdemeanors and class E felonies were allowed to go without bail because there already was a discretion before. And the judges used the discretion and said, fuck you. This guy, I don't like him. He doesn't look like me. I'm going to throw him in jail. Well, yeah, like appellate practice is its own animal. Oh, I don't even. Oh my God, that's I was unlucky enough to have to do one argument in appellate court. Um, but yeah, that's that's a whole nother story. But yeah, like in the, at the trial court level, it doesn't matter. The, the 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 rules of procedure matter less than the rules of the judge that you are in front of. <laughs> it's it, it's the judge's kingdom. Well, in New York, they New Jersey, they want. I will say this: New Jersey seems to be pretty good on on the rules actually mattering. And I don't know how they get it to work so well. I mean, my, my experience has been like, because usually you talk to the prosecutor, you talk to opposing counsel, and you work it out between the two of you. And it's only if there's some problem between the two of you that the judge has to get involved and, and, and put the rules in place. Like most of the time when, when I'm dealing with discovery issues, it's like, look, these are the things I want. You have them, give them to me. What are the things you want? I will get them and I will turn them over. And 90% of the time, it's not a problem. Well, it's, I, it's been I also... the rare occasion that someone wouldn't give me something or was claiming that they didn't have something that I knew that they had. It yeah. really just doesn't happen. Well, and also, I think probably the, diff the, the major difference between New York and New Jersey is New Jersey, all the judges are appointed, except for surrogate's court. Yeah. Whereas New York, they're elected in a lot of spots. 
So when you have elected judges, uh, A, there's not a vetting process, like a true vetting process like there is in New Jersey where it's like, you know, like when you're appointed to be on the, the county court, it's it's a big deal, right? Like, and usually there's people who are who have a knowledge of what it is to be a lawyer, what it is to be a judge, looking over your resume, determining whether you really should be a judge in that county or not. I mean, in New Jersey, it's, it's typically like you get like prosecutors who get appointed and then the occasional public defender who does too. And like they kind of came up in that system of like, you just give them the thing like that's that's so like they, they perpetuate it. It's like, look, I'm not going to get involved unless there's a problem. It's and, also in New Jersey, it's all politics. It's all yeah. politically connected. I remember being I remember like my second day of law school, they took us to go see a judge across the street. They took us on that nice little field trip they do on the, the orientation. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> after they told us that alcoholism was rampant throughout the legal industry and there was free alcohol at every event. Yes! I love Rutgers for the mixed signals. Don't right. become an alcoholic, but also here's a whole bunch of alcohol. Have at it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but they took us across the street to, to see a judge and the judge kind of disclosed to us the whole reason why she's even a judge is because her husband has to, happens to be politically connected. And I'm like, why would you say that? Because- and it's just because they don't care. In fairness, I kind of appreciate the honesty. Right? Yeah. I don't think she meant. No, I don't think she meant it as like a. I, I think she didn't see there was anything wrong with it. That was what I think was kind of the point of. Could be. Why I'm a little shocked by it was you would think like it's not like she was just being honest and like, hey, this is a fucked up system, but I'm playing by it. It was, hey, this is a fucked up. It's not that she was pointing out it was a fucked up system. She's just like, hey, look at how I got to become a judge. My husband's really politically connected. Like it was just so stupid. See, but like being a judge, I feel like is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> it's, it seems like it's no, sucks. it's not. It, well, honestly, that's why they have a problem filling judge seats now because it's they don't pay enough. It's just I, a lot of reading. <laughs> well, even municipal courts, they they have a hard time looking for judges. There's a they're looking for a judge up by me, for a municipal court. They're like five years. I'm like that used to be the amount you needed to be a prosecutor in some towns. Now you could be a judge with five years. <sighs> that's that's insane. Like, I should the, not be uh, a judge. I should not be eligible to be a judge. I mean, yeah, like, I, I, I've gotten to know some judges really well, and, like, they'll, like, complain about the job. And it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of the same thing every day. It doesn't pay as well as people think it does. It's, it's not – it doesn't seem that appealing. Like, I, I always say if I were ever appointed, I would probably do it. But I'm, I would never seek that out. It's not a goal. Yeah, I don't think I would do either. I honestly don't think it. I, I don't think it's anything in my interest. It's not anything in my wheelhouse. But then again, I've kind of, I solely degraded from being a lawyer to being some kind of crazy, like, carnival stooge who talks about being a lawyer. I don't know. Like that's kind of what it is. Um, but I, I do like. I, here's the thing. I have so much respect for other attorneys. I think the problem is is that I've met so many that have let me down already, like from we, talking to them, being around we, them. We should do a show about all of the horrible attorneys that we've come across. <laughs> What's the thing? I, I kind of like have I gone have quite over quite a few stories. Oh, dude, I used to I, – I, yes, I've dealt with quite a few bad attorneys. I, and I, actually, I, it's funny enough, like I've met other attorneys who know those attorneys too. And it's just – I think my problem is I – Again, from you know that situation I'm talking about, where I've seen judges turn down public defenders for people, I'm like, how is the system even like? How are we even so sure about the system when we see people not get their attorney? Like when we've seen people like agree to deals and stuff like this that they really shouldn't be taking, and that the the system's so broken. And I, I don't know. That, I, I think that's kind of what made me go like, I think people should just be more informed about how broken this shit is, and then eventually they'll all get over it and they'll be like, well, this is all fucked up. Let's move on. Or we'll all be like, let's fix it. I mean, I think the problem is, like, most people don't have any real meaningful contact with the criminal justice system. I'm even talking, you know what, not even criminal justice. This this conversation, most of this podcast has been criminal justice. Dude, there's so many other avenues of, you know, whether you look at, again, we were talking before about family law and alimony payments and how those things get calculated, how those affect people, Um, custody. In, in in that realm, there really is no rules. There, there. Are, the first thing that's about the problem with family no rule. But, yeah. but but the but I understand the problem. How can you make rules for something so individualized? You you kind of can't. 
I mean, you can make some. It's not totally well, out okay. of the. Okay, there are some things that are rules, but like, well, was, I mean, that's was why the, a lot of people who practice like family usually, you know, they don't usually do like. Let me put it this way: most people who practice family law don't do civil procedure. They're not doing like exactly. you're not doing personal injury and a lot of divorces, right? Because it's two different, almost completely two different practice areas. The rules yeah. are con- constantly counterintuitive. Like if you if you practice mostly civil your whole life and then you go and you've been like doing commercial law and you go do a divorce, you will literally want to kill yourself because it well, like, is that fucking annoying. The problem that I, I always bring up is I'm like, you know, like in custody cases, like best interest of the child. That's the standard. What does that mean? Oh, forget it. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I wasn't even talking about the ambiguities. That <laughs> like, on its own is a whole other crazy bullshit. The, the, the standard on its own is like kind of ambiguous. And like, I don't know what that means. It's just whoever makes a better argument in front of the judge or like for divorces. What is equitable distribution? What is what is equitable? Well, that's, I guess, for us to fu- us to decide upon. And if we can't agree, then the judge decides. That's it. That's what it means. There is no definition. Like New Jersey's not a 50-50 property state. Like just because you're getting divorced doesn't mean you're going to get half of everything. It's just not how it works here. And it's not just marital. Like again, like I'm saying before, there's a, a there's some rules that people just should know, right? Like things that you wish people would know. And that's some of the videos that I'm going to be doing is that it's going to be things I wish people would know. Things like <laughs> bankruptcy, right? Bankruptcy, the relationship between bankruptcy and student loans, the relationship, uh, the relationship between being an individual and filing for bankruptcy versus businesses filing for bankruptcy. And people actually surprisingly are a little bit interested in that stuff, shockingly more than I expected. And so that's uh, what kind of brought this up, you know, that, so. I, I mean, that, that doesn't surprise me so much. Uh, no, because well, you're learning the rules of the game. Law school is all about ru- learning the rules to Monopoly. And then there was that class civil procedure where, where you learn the rules to the rules okay. of Monopoly. I think, I think the, 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 the best analogy I can think of here is law school is learning the rules of Monopoly, but the practice of law is like Monopoly with house rules. <laughs> Where it's like you yes. have, the, you, you have the, the foundation, yes. but like, oh, some of the rules in the, in the manual will not apply. Um, <laughs> and some of them, you know, like there's going to be like new rules that you're just going to have to learn. Uh, also, the, the rules change state to state. Like in yeah. this state, the, the rules might be like you're actually playing you know, five-card draw and then you're playing Texas Hold'em over in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Now we're talking about poker, so I got no – now we're going totally different uh, direction oh. on it. I miss playing poker. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, a hardcore thank you to Mr. John Rinaldi for uh, for for joining us this week. And uh, I look forward to him potentially being back on uh, relatively soon. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you liked it or you didn't like it or you want to stay uh, up to date with us, please subscribe. Uh, you could also follow the podcast at Punk Law 101. That's P U N K L A W 101 because 201 is the next class. Um, this is not a real class. And as I stated in the beginning, this podcast is for informational purposes only. Uh, please do not act upon any of the information without obtaining and retaining a lawyer, if you will. And, uh, have a good